Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, I'll take a look at the sales for the Sukhoi Superjet during the Max Air Show, while Tom will tell us about a new airline that launched this weekend. Joe will tell us about how all the horses are getting to the Tokyo Olympics, or should we say got to the Tokyo Olympics by now, I guess. Um, And while I'll look at the Airbus A330 that's being turned into a music venue. Finally, I'll tell you about a former flight attendant who wants to push his drinks cart more than 200 miles to one of the 9-11 tragedy. So now you know what's in store. Let's get on with the show. And Joe, tell me what went down at the Max Air Show. That's M-A-K-S for yeah. anyone wondering, because I'm thinking, oh, that sounds a bit like Max. Yeah, <laughs> I did struggle to uh, just double check that there hadn't been any orders over the weekend, because when I typed mm. in M-A-C- M-A-K-S orders, it just came up with lots of Boeing 737 Max orders. So anyway, oh, really? <laughs> it's kind of the first major air show since COVID, um, mm. because Paris has obviously been cancelled this year. Dubai's not happening till later in the year. Um, and I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but it's in Russia. And the abbreviation is M-A-K-S, Max Air Show. Um, and Simple Flying was there to check things out Um, and 58 Sukhoi Superjets were signed up for and sold to four different Russian airlines over the course of the week. Um, Mm. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and maybe we can also mention a little Airbus order that we had during the show. Oh yes, Um, I remember that one. (laughs) <laughs> so 15 of the Sukhoi Superjets went to Rossier Airlines um, and it is now set to be by far the world's largest operator of the type. Um, it's already taking over the entire fleet of its parent Aeroflot, which um, we'll see. I think it's about 84 SSJ100s transferred over to Rossier. Um, so and then then it's already got more than 30 in its fleet. So with this new order for 15, its eventual fleet is going to be just short of 150, 149 SSJ 100. So Mm. um, by far the largest operator in the world. Um, We also saw an airline called Azimuth signing an MOU for 10 SSJ 100s. It's already got 14 of those in its fleet. And as far as we know, it's the world's only all SSJ operator. Um, Although that is set to change, I believe, Tom. Yeah. So uh, Azimuth also signed um, an order for the Airbus A220 Hmm. and it's set to become Russia's first operator of the um, regional Airbus jet. So exciting times. Any A220 order, I'm on board. Sign me up to go on it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so there were other, there were two other airlines as well. There was a Far East Russian airline called Aurora, which I have mm. to admit not having heard of before. But um, apparently they're really vital for the kind of Far East end of Russia in terms of connectivity. There's not, not very many airlines flying around that area. Um, mm. And they currently oper- operate nine A319 narrow bodies, as well as 11 various turboprops from um, the Dash 8 and Twin Otter families. Um, but they, they're having a bit of a revamp because they were always a subsidiary of the Aeroflot group. Um, mm. Aeroflot had owned 51% of Aurora since 2013. But yeah. on Christmas Day 2020, it divested its entire shareholding, um, making Aurora now an independent airline. And it's, um, it's eyeing quite a big kind of revamp of its fleet as a result. So it's um, preliminarily, preliminarily <laughs> agreed to eight SSJ100s. 
Airlines. Um, but it's also looking to purchase another 45 new aircraft by 2025. And mm. it's looking at all Russian aircraft. So it's going to be a really interesting fleet to keep an eye on over the next few years. Um, they've been said to be eyeing the um, Aleutian IL-114-300, um, the L-410NG and the LMS aircraft, which is called Baikal, which I don't okay. know anything about at all, but I'm going to go away and look up in a minute. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it afterwards and I'll get you to write about it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so it's looking to become an entirely Russian airline, uh, Russian aircraft operator within the next five years. Um, so we've just got one more to go on our rundown of the SSJ orders. And this was Russian leisure airline Red Wings. Um, yep. And it signed up for a total of 25. So it was Mac's biggest order of um, SSJs that went to Red Wings. Um, they're going to be delivered really quickly this year and next year. Uh, and it already leases seven SJ100s. So its eventual fleet will be around 32, making it the second biggest SSJ fleet in the world. Mm. Um and I think for me, what's really interesting about the Max Air Show and what was being said there is that in the past, you know, because of issues with reliability and safety, Russian airlines have moved towards operating more Western built aircraft. But mm. now with the um, the success of the SSJ and the MC-21 coming along, you know, they're really keen to take things back into their own hands, particularly on the domestic side. Um, and my colleague Summit was at the show and he spoke to Rostex, Director for International Cooperation and Regional Policy, a man called Viktor Kladov. And he said that the goal is for all Russian domestic operations to be undertaken by Russian-built aircraft by the end of this decade. Um, there are still outstanding orders for Western-built aircraft in the pipeline, um, but Mr. Kladov says that all of these are for different missions and that in terms of domestic operations, everything will be Russified by 2030. Mm. So uh, a really interesting shift back to uh, relying on their own technology there, I think. Yeah, definitely. So, Tom, tell me about Europe's newest airline. Well, <laughs> where do I start? So this weekend, um, it's not—it's kind of new and not new in a way because Lufthansa Group decided, hang on, we haven't got enough airlines, let's make another one. Um, <laughs> so they launched Eurowings Discover, which is in, essentially it's intended to be a sort of long haul leisure um, leisure company. And I don't want to—I want to stop short of calling it low cost because it does have a small business class cabin. Um, which is not very sort of typical of a low-cost low carrier. Yeah. Um, but basically, at the weekend, it departed from Frankfurt on Saturday evening for its first flight. And it was a bit of an interesting destination because, you know, like it could have been, say, a big holiday destination like Istanbul, for example, or somewhere in the yeah. Caribbean. Um, yeah. But instead, they went for Mombasa with a little tag-on flight to Zanzibar. Wow. Um, just across the border there. So... It's it's a really interesting thing, and I was actually fortunate enough to um, be invited to Frankfurt Airport at the weekend to wave it off, and it was a great day. You know, like we got there, we got there at five o'clock, and this thing wasn't due to go until seven thirty. So I'm thinking, what are we going to be doing? But they <laughs> sort of let us. Um, they took us to the airplane to see a little bit outside, saw some other things, and then finally at about so this the plane was meant to leave the airport at about. Um, 7.35 and the first of two jet bridges didn't even start to leave the airplane until about 7.30 so you kind of knew it was going to be a little bit late and all in all the plane departed roughly 
um, half an hour late. It started its pushback about quarter to eight and took off at pretty much eight on the dot. Um, it was a really fun thing, though, because we were sort of airside watching the plane depart the gate and it sort of taxied by us. And all of a sudden, our guide was just like sort of um, ushering us back onto the bus frantically as in sort of uh, a sort of get to the chopper um, type, you know, <laughs> like it really was like a, you've got to get go, on the go, bus go. now. Um, so we get on the bus, the door's shut. We haven't even sat down yet, pretty much. And suddenly there's a follow me in front of us um, and we start belting it down a taxiway at like 40 to 50 miles an hour Crazy. to get to the runway before the because obviously the plane left the gate before us um, yeah. and we wanted to get to the runway before it and, <laughs> so you could see um, it take off <laughs> yeah thankfully we just made it you know like it was just getting to the end of the runway whilst we were setting up on the side and um then this plane just um took off past us and i mean it was an amazing experience because how many people can say like i know you can be spotting on the other side of the fence but how many people can say they were just stood right there uh, yeah. next to the runway while a plane was taking off um, it must have been pretty cool it was amazing and um the plane actually you know it, it left around half an hour late but it was meant to arrive in mombasa at five ten, and it was only three minutes late according to our friends at radarbox.com um Although it sounds like Mombasa Airport put on a bit more of a show for its departure because oh, right. um, I saw on Twitter that they had um, drum players and dancers on the apron waiting for the plane to taxi in. So oh, it's quite goodness. a fun one there. But um, yeah. lots of pictures of that in our article if you're interested. And sort of thank you to the Eurowings Discover team and uh, Fraport for their hospitality. Sounds great. I'm quite envious. Um, I haven't mm. seen a real life plane in quite some time. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doubly envious. But, uh, well, I wanted to take a look uh, with all the excitement going on as the Tokyo Olympics have now kicked off. Mm. Um, at how some of with the very. Three golds for Britain today. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're doing so well. Um, and I wanted to just take a look at how some of the most uh, unusual athletes, if you like, actually mm. make it to Tokyo to participate. Um, because across the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games, 325 horses from all over the world need to arrive in order to compete. Mm. Um, so they began this massive airlift, I think it was about 10 days ago now, um, and there were eight separate flights using Emirates Sky Cargo's Boeing 777F, taking the majority of these horses to Japan. Um, mm. And as well as the horses, the 777s needed to take 59 grooms, 20 tonnes of horse feed um, and 100 tonnes of specialist equipment over to Japan. Mm. Um, and they all flew from Liège in Belgium to Haneda in Tokyo. Um, and the first flight landed, I believe it was just over a week ago. Mm. Um, so there were uh, 247 horses for the Olympic Games and 78 for the Paralympic Games that were going over the course of these eight flights. Um, and the flight took off from Liège in Belgium. And it, it was just after midnight, I believe. And it flew for around six hours. It landed in Dubai for an hour stop for refueling, a um, couple of hours on the ground. And then it took off again for another flight time of about nine hours and 10 minutes. So altogether, these horses were on the plane for over 20 hours. 
hours. And I think just managing that in itself has got to be quite a feat. Mm. Um, they were well treated when they landed, though, because there was a convoy of 11 state-of-the-art air-conditioned horse boxes that turned up at Haneda Airport to transport them to the Olympic Village at Badji Cohen. So, mm. you know, they're, they're proper celebrities, these horses. Um, and in fact, that first flight was transporting um, gold medal-winning dressage horse Bella Rose, who won yesterday um, for mm. Germany, Isabel Worth. Um, and then the UK's dressage hopeful was also flown out on the first flight, which is a horse called Geo. Um, that's ridden by Charlotte Dujardin, who bagged silver yesterday. Mm. Um, so, yeah, exciting stuff and very valuable horses. You know, I think flying 36 horses across thousands of miles with a, a flight time of over 20 hours, you know, it's got to be something that's fairly daunting at any time. Yeah. But when you're flying some of the most expensive horses in the world, you know, you've got to be super careful. Mm. Um, I, I said in my article, it's got to be business class all the way. And I just want to say that's not a metaphor um, because horses are actually flown around the world all the time and they fly yeah. in different classes just like people do. They have their own passports um, and depending on their owner's needs and budget, they can fly in economy, which is where you've got like three horses traveling in a cargo pallet stall um, altogether. Business class, you'll get one less horse in the stall. Uh, it'll add around 35% to the cost and just see two horses traveling together. And then mm. for about another 70% on top of the price, they can get true first class service and have a pallet stall all to themselves. Um, so for our Olympic hopefuls, it was business class. They flew two yep. to a stall and they'd spent quite a long time in pre-flight quarantine getting to know their seatmates. So, you know, they, these horses might not have met before, but by the time they boarded the plane, they're like best buds. Um, mm. Help them stay calm in flight and obviously avoided any unwanted in-flight struggles and squabbles, I guess. Um, yep. they, they did have an in-flight snack. It was hay or haylage as per their preference. And they got at least one full in-flight meal. Um, beverages were restricted to water, but it was offered at regular intervals. And in place of flight attendants, of course, they had an army of grooms flying with them to check on their comfort levels. And there was even an onboard vet checking out their health and vital stats during mm. the flight. Um, so what I was wondering was, because all these horses are coming from all over the world, that first flight had represented of Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Portugal, even as far away as Morocco. But why were they flying from Belgium? Why didn't they just kind of sort out a flight from their home airport? Mm. Well, the answer is because there's some um, incredible facilities at Liège Airport. Um, equestrian travellers there will find a dedicated horse inn, which has 55 spacious, air-conditioned, fully equipped stalls with rubber floors that are kind to their feet. And there's even showers and rest areas for the grooms to refresh. Um, and they can have all their health checks there as well. There's, there's um, dedicated vets on site to do their pre-flight checks, to do their quarantines, to do their paperwork. Um, and the pallets can be literally kind of driven up to the door of the stables. So they can walk from their stables straight onto the pallet and then get mm. transported to the plane. So less stressful for everyone involved. But uh, I don't know. I found this fascinating and I don't know if I've just spent five minutes boring our <laughs> listeners to death, but uh, <laughs> it's something you don't really think about. And when I started looking into it, it's so interesting, you know, the lengths they go to to get these horses mm. there safely. Um, but of course, best wishes for Team GB at the Olympics this week um, for the equestrians and for the people that run on two legs. Um, I'm sure we're going to be carrying on doing really well. Hmm. And I was actually reading with interest that um, in the pentathlon, here's something I didn't know before today, um, the people in doing the pentathlon only get given a horse 20 minutes before the 
the event starts. So the whole wow. point is that they've just got to get to know this horse and deal with it <laughs> rather than being like strongly paired to it. But anyway, um, that's incredible. Before terrifying. we change our name to Simple Horses. Um, <laughs> so moving on from um, Eurowings A330, I wanted to talk about another A330 that is not going to be taken to the sky anytime soon or probably ever because it's in at least three fuselage parts and the wings have been cut off. Um, oh but what I found really fascinating was a sort of Spanish story that completely flew under the radar, if you'll pardon the pun, um, for a week. And I discovered this on Friday, I think, um, in that, um, you know, Tyrell, we've been going on and on about in the podcast now, so everyone should know where it is. But it turns out um, a couple of hundred kilometers away in the same, um, in the Manegros Desert, there is a music festival that hasn't been happening because of COVID, but they're um, planning to sort of pull out all the stops uh, for next year. And mm -hmm. what that entails actually is making use of one of these aircraft that just sits at Tyrell waiting for a rainy day. So they've taken a scrapped A330 and they're basically turning it into a stage, a music stage for this uh, music festival. And it's going to take a thousand people out of uh, however many are coming. So I'm wow. trying to work out what that is, whether there's just like somebody on a little stage at the front of the cabin and no dividers or whether they cut the side out and then the people are on the plane. I don't and, know. Like, it sounds fascinating you know, so though. We'll have to wait until um, 2022 to see what it is, because that's when this music festival is going to be taking place. But I found it interesting that they took this plane 230 kilometers on the A23 highway. And obviously, because it was so big, they had to get the police involved. Um, it was a bit like, you know, those scenes where you see the A380 sections uh, going through that tiny yeah. town in France. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting, but I did do some digging to try and find out which aircraft is being used because obviously it's not something that's advertised. And I'm sure if you ask the right person, you could find out, but I haven't managed that quite yet. Um, so I was looking at data from our friends at chaviation.com and I discovered that there were 30 Airbus A330 aircraft at Tyrell, but oh, wow. um, only two of them have been listed as scrapped. And what's interesting is that both of the two aircraft were delivered to Qatar Airways, but ended up at Air Italy. All right, and yeah. I'm not saying it's definitely an Air Italy A330 that's been um, sent to the Monegros Desert. But if you look at the plane, um, where the Air Italy logo would have been has been covered with... Um, gray paint and there's also like a, a gray belly on this aircraft and you know it seems it seems very interesting if they wanted to deliberately paint the belly of an aircraft that's just going to be sitting on the ground because uh, it's got no landing gear uh, it seems um, yeah. gray and what's it re even more interesting is that Air Italy's um, paint scheme pretty much has this exact gray um bottom so like i say i'm not saying it is the one of the air italy planes but you know there's a lot of um things going in the right direction yeah oh that sounds good um so yeah i mean i'm keen to see because they're gonna they've only uh, taken the start of the, uh, the the front of the aircraft at the moment and they need to take the middle section and the back because they broke it into three Jeffrey. parts so i'm interested to sort of see Jeffrey. what it looks like once everything's put together it sounds incredible i'm uh, I, i'm really tempted to go to that festival but uh, i don't know anything about it or how we book tickets but so i, I may yeah, go and google what, it 
Yeah, you should do. I read something. Uh, somebody was suggesting that it was the Burning Man of Spain. Uh, oh, okay. Which doesn't mean so much to me, but I'm sure uh, for some of our listeners that will like be a light bulb um, moment. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, just to wrap up today, I really wanted to um, just reflect really that I can't believe it, but this year will march two decades since the tragic events of September 11th. You know, okay. it feels like yesterday to me. I don't know about you, Tom, but it doesn't yeah, feel... Yeah, I think I was just a bit too young to really get it, you yeah. know? Yeah, I guess so. I, I was a, well, I was quite young um, and I just didn't know what was going on. But I remember I remember it happening and I remember it being chaotic. Mm. Um, and I can't quite believe two decades has passed, but there we have it. Um, and to mark the occasion, a former United Airlines flight attendant called Paul Venito um, is going to be pushing an airline beverage cart weighing around 30 kilograms from Boston Logan Airport to Ground Zero in New York. Um, now, of course, this is a charity in He's going to be raising money on his way, um, but he's going to be starting his 220-mile journey on August 21st, um, and he'll be walking and pushing until September 11th when he hopes to arrive at Ground Zero. Mm. Um, so he's known colloquially by his friends as Paulie, and the charity initiative is called Paulie's Push. Um, and it's actually, it was very uh, a matter very close to his heart because um, Paulie was a flight attendant on that very route. He very often flew... Um, United Airlines Flight 175. And in fact, he travelled on the, the returning rotation back to Boston the night before 9-11. Mm. Um, and he says on his site that the very next day, seven of his colleagues departed Boston for New York. Um, and of course, the flight was hijacked at around quarter to nine in the morning. Um, and the plane crashed into the South T Tower of the World Trade Center just 15 minutes later. Mm. Um, so he's doing this as a tribute to um, not only the flight attendants that were on United 175, but because of all of the crew members who were so courageous that day. You know, they, they were all in touch with their airlines, with the, with the FAA. You know, some of the actions that those crew members took really mm. helped to mitigate the situation and make it, um, less bad than it already was. Um, he calls them the very first first responders, and I think mm. they really were, and particularly underappreciated. So he really wants to highlight what these guys did on September the 11th, 20 years ago, um, and also to support an addiction charity because Paulie, you know, he said that his world was just destroyed after 9-11. He couldn't quite comprehend what had happened to his friends. Um, and he lost himself for about 15 years in, in opiates, um, but has now been, I think it will mark six years clean on September the 11th this year. So um, he's done that with the support of a charity called Power forward so a lot of the money that he's raising will be sent to those guys and it will be split between them and the families of the flight crews who lost their lives during the attack so uh, mm. it's no mean feat you know this this drinks trolley weighs about 30 kilos um and paulie is 68 years old so for me i think this is an incredible gesture and uh, mm. you know it's actually a really tough challenge he could have just walked it and it would have been impressive but yeah. to do it pushing a, a drinks trolley along the road i think is incredible so do check it out on our website you can see how to donate to his charity if it's something close to your heart too. Um, you mm. can also check out his route that he's taking from Boston to New York. Um, he is stopping in various towns along the way. So, you know, give him a wave if you happen to see a, a very generous old man pushing a, a drinks mm. cart through your town. <laughs> well, I mean, good on him. It sounds like a good cause. It really does. It really does. 
Um, so best of luck to Paulie. And uh, mm. I think that's probably about all we've got time for today. Do you agree, Tom? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree there. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And we welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.